I know I'm, I look young, but I am very technologically illiterate, so that worries me every Sunday. So, uh, <laughs> um, Before we get to the passage this morning, um, I want to tell you a brief story, and then I'll pray and we'll get into it. Um, for the first three years that I ever did ministry, I was a junior, a senior, and then a freshman in college. So junior and senior high school, freshman college. Um, and I was a camp counselor. Uh, it's for kids from all over, from Chicago to Detroit to my little hometown of Michigan, uh, Little Hopkins. And um, one of the things uh, we would do the night of, the first night the kids were there, they would come on Sunday night, leave on Friday, is we would have a big poster with a marker, and the kids could walk up and write any rules that they wanted to be a cabin rule for the foreseeable week. Um, they may scare some of you parents, being like, I would never let my kids set the rules for the week. <laughs> but uh, it was always tagged on behind this idea of respect. And not the idea where, where uh, you have to respect my authority, since I'm the, the big counselor, but in the respect in that we, that we care for each other, that we love each other. And so the kids would write all kinds of rules. Um, but this morning's passage kind of focuses on, on that idea um, and so I want to kind of invite you this morning to kind of walk with me as we kind of see how God has laid out the rules for our lives, but does so with this backdrop, this beautiful backdrop uh, that informs our decisions, informs how we live with each other, how it informs how we go out and do activities, and also informs in how we are to bring others in. And so I, I hope that uh, resonates with you, but I hope that sits in the back of your head. Um, and so this morning, we're going to be talking about 1 John 2, 7 through 14. If you haven't figured it out, uh, the past few Sundays that I've preached, I only preach about once a month, I've uh, been going through the book of 1 John. Uh, it's an exciting epistle. Um, it's one of my favorite books, not just because it's short, but because <laughs> there's a lot in there, and John's very plain. The, the themes just kind of hit you in the face. Um, and so I'm going to read uh, the passage this morning, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. So hear the words of God from 1 John, verses 7 through 14. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that is you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because... The darkness is passing away, hallelujah, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know from him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know he who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Thus ends the reading of this portion of God's holy and inspired word. Would you bow your heads with me? Tell me, Father, I pray that, I, pass, that, that uh, I take a step back this morning, that we can look at your word and be uh, 
excited about it, that we can revel in this glorious revelation you handed to us. Pray you be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and understanding, in my mouth and my speaking, Lord. Let your word send us to go forth and to love our community. Precious and holy name, amen. So, um, even though Tommy is no longer here all the time, uh, I'm going to still stick with the question thing because I like it. Uh, when Tommy taught me how to, um, was showing me how he preps for sermons, he asked a ton of questions. It probably would be obscene to you how many questions he asked. And some of the questions he'd be like, it's a pretty obvious answer, Tommy. He's like, it's important. Um, and so the question I put you this morning is very important. It's one that's really helped me. It's already up there. It's what is your comfort food? It's a very important question. Um, I realized after I'd gotten married that it was important to have that comfort food in my brain and in my fridge in case one of us needed it. <laughs> my comfort food is warm, it's gooey, it's cheesy, it's filled with noodles, it's macaroni and cheese. I've always had it since I was a kid till now. When I was asked what my last meal was growing up, I would always say it would be mac and cheese. Can't have anything better than mac and cheese. It's something that fills me up. My stomach, my heart, brings back great memories of joy and excitement. Something that grounds me. No matter what's going on in the world, whether I'm feeling great and I want something delicious, or I'm having a really hard time, and I need something to just come alongside and fill me up and hold me. Mac and cheese <laughs> is the food that does that. I hope you have a food that does that. I hope you get to have something that brings you that kind of level of joy. Um, and so the reason I bring this up alongside this passage, even though we didn't talk about food, is because John starts with a word of comfort, that the Bible is comforting. He starts with this beautiful word. He's been talking, right? There's a chapter and a half before this passage, but he still says, beloved. Why does he do that? I think it's because he wants to remind us that he loves his congregation. He loves the people he's writing to. It's a word of endearment, a word of knowing that whatever he's about to say comes out out of an avenue of love, uh, an avenue that cares and respects, right? I used to garden a lot, and one of the ways we loved our garden was pulling out weeds, so John's pretty much saying, whatever happens next, even if it's pulling weeds and it looks a little scary, know that I love you. And he starts talking, and he, he kind of permeates through, through three different things, but without these three things, we, we aren't able to see the full beauty of the gospel. And so we're going to talk about, along with comfort foods, we're going to talk about winning today. I know Seattle and the surrounding areas are big sports people. Um, you all like winning, um, and your teams show you that. Let me figure out where to put this. Um, sorry. <laughs> and um, so we're going to talk about three different ways to win. This passage runs us through. It starts off with the idea of love and that love wins. The next thing it talks about is light and how light wins. And the third thing it talks about is Jesus winning. If you spend any time with me up in the summit, up where all the students are, you will, make, you will definitely hear me when I ask questions. I expect the answer to be Jesus. Um, and so love wins, light wins, Jesus wins. It's easy to remember this morning. But all of these things are cruxed on top of each other. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, or surrounding areas, and it was a bumper sticker in the mid-2000s that just said, love wins. Um, 
And it was a great idea. It was a great bumper sticker. It's fantastic. But when it has no base, when it has no framework to it, it can kind of be lost in the wind. Or it can feel like it's just passing. Love has to have this, this concrete frame, that this, this um, budding flower behind it, so you know it means something. So it has some weight to it. And so when John comes uh, to his passage and he says, Beloved, the first two verses, he lets them know that what he's about to write isn't new news. I titled the sermon Oldie But a Goodie because my grandma would always constantly say that about old movies or old foods that she liked or ways we did things. It's old, but, it, but it's still good, Reuben. That's an oldie but a goodie. So this commandment that John's talking about, he never says it directly, but we can infer of it, and we know because the Old Testament and New Testament are filled with it. So what's John talking about when he said, I'm writing to you not a new commandment, but an old one? And then he also qualifies with, but it is new because something has happened that has helped us fully understand this. It's helped us flesh it out. And so what he's talking about uh, is highlighted by Christ in Matthew 22 when it says, what is the greatest commandment? Hopefully you know this off the top of your head. It's to love God with your hind, mind, heart, and soul. Hopefully I remember it. <laughs> to love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a new commandment, Christ tells us. And then John affirms it in his book. But this isn't something, uh, maybe you've read it before, and you're like, I never saw that in the Old Testament. I never saw it laid out like that. Well, goody for you, I spent a whole week finding all those different places. Uh, <laughs> but two of those, uh, two of my favorite spots are in Leviticus, a book I feel like a lot of people avoid. Uh, Leviticus 19, um, in that chapter, it talks about loving God and loving our neighbor well. And that's in the context of uh, making sure you stay clean, your neighbors stay clean, you do things that can help and support them. And then Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, around the idea of the law. That if you took the Ten Commandments, if we had them up here, if we had time, uh, and we took all Ten Commandments and we split them up, you would realize that they're all cruxed on two things, loving God and loving people. I think they're highlighted super well by two different commandments that show. The first one is, how do we love people well? Well, there's a commandment definitely says it. It says, don't murder. It's a pretty simple one. <laughs> you want to love your neighbor well? That's one of the commandments. And I'm sure if you looked at Ten Commandments, you'd figure out the rest that are talking about people. And how do the other commandments talk about loving God? Well, one of them that highlights that is shall not have any idols. That nothing should, should be in front before you pray to something before you get to God. That respecting God, loving God, means not having any kind of uh, first stepping stones to get there. Not having an idol's. Um, to misrepresent our God. So why is it new then? If we've been talking about it since Leviticus, which is really far back in the Old Testament, we talk about the Ten Commandments, which we know God has always been about, that God does not change, then how has it become new? I thought God didn't change. Well, it's become new because of in light of what just happened probably 20 years ago from when John's writing this letter. Jesus came. Everything the Old Testament's been writing about came to fruition. The Savior they'd been looking for, Christ himself, walked across that earth. And he showed them this new and more robust way to enjoy God and enjoy Scripture. Right? And one of those ways, when, when Jesus is talking about 
the Ten Commandments. You probably know this one. He says, you've heard not to murder, but I tell you that even if you hate your brother, you do him wrong. That Jesus, a lot of his teachings, a lot of his commandments and parables, they aren't anything new. He's not, he's not adding to Scripture. Rather, he is allowing us to see a fuller picture of what God has called us to. About what God is encouraging us to do. To loving God, to loving our neighbor. And that's that commandment that John here is talking about. That this idea of loving God and loving our neighbor became fully realized in Christ. That if we want to know how to love God, if we want to know how to love our neighbor, we look at Jesus, right? It's been something that's been preached here for, for decades. Hopefully it's been preached to you for, for longer than that, if you've been around longer than that. But Jesus wants to remind us to love our neighbor and that this commandment's important, to love our God, to love our neighbor. And this should inform everything else. It's why the commandments were written. If, if, if God was in the cabin and he let me write some rules, he'd be like, okay, Reuben, you can write some rules, but they all must be behind this idea of loving God and loving your neighbor. That would inform the Ten Commandments. It would inform why the Israelites did what they did in the Old Testament. It would inform why Christ had to come and die, but not just stay dead, defeat death. And so who's our neighbor? A really simple way. Uh, who, who is our neighbor? Well, Kent's our neighbor. We're in this beautiful community of Kent, Washington. Um, when I moved here, something, uh, and still to this day, I've only been here about 20 months, that gets me excited is seeing that big mountain out in the distance. It's so cool. I hope I never lose that excitement. It's so cool to see how beautifully green it is. But our neighbor isn't the trees or the really cool mountain. It's the people in the apartment complex a quarter of a block that way. Or the people in the houses across the street. And so what is loving our neighbor looking like? Well, it means... Maybe driving past, and you're like, well, what can I do, Reuben? I feel a little lost. Our head pastor's uh, not here. We're looking for a new one. I can feel like I'm not sure what to do with this community of Kent. What you get to do is you can take your car after church, drive down whichever way you go, whether it's north, south, east, or west, and look to your left and look to your right and see what does Kent need? What do your neighbors need? Maybe it's something as simple as mowing their lawn. We have a student here that that mows the lawn for the church. It's the way he serves our neighbors and us. It's awesome. Maybe it's just picking up trash. Just walking beside the road and picking up some trash. Maybe it means seeing your neighbor um, need some help fixing his car. Maybe just changing a tire. So how do we be our neighbor? How do we love people? Well, the same way Christ loved us. It's serving us and serving our community. And we know that that love will win because Christ won. He defeated death. It informed how the gospel, how Christ entered his life. So love wins. But as love is winning, light begins to shine through. That Christ's love is always predicated with the idea of light. That love doesn't just leave the person blind and in darkness. It, it lifts us up and brings us up out of the darkness into the light. It's like that, that old song, well, I don't know if it's old, but in my head it's old. Into that marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame. And that when people are loved, they, they are, can feel like we're pulling them up and out of that darkness. Sometimes that darkness is as simple as mowing grass, but sometimes that means walking alongside them through hard times, sitting and listening. 
The, the crazy thing about light, though, is that darkness gets removed, right? So cool, right? We, we have all these lights. If you came here about an hour and a half ago, this church would have been dark. We turn on these lights, and now we can all see each other, all your beautiful faces. Sorry about that. And so light wins. It always beats darkness. You can't have a shadow so powerful that light can't pierce through it, pierce through the veil of it. But oftentimes, um, we can blame the people in the dark for being in the dark. Or we can blame them and, and say, you're in the dark and you have no idea, look at me with my cool light, and we stay way over here. Never let that light hit that person. Never let that light enter in and mess up their whole world. Because when light enters in, you see how dusty your apartment is. That's me. Or when light enters in, you realize that the thing you tripped over, you no longer have to trip over, right? That part of this passage, it talks about that having light helps us avoid stumbling. That one of the benefits of the gospel and being changed in your heart, body, and soul by the gospel is we get to avoid sin. We get to do our best by the power of Christ to, to run from sin, run from the things that would tear us down, run from the things that would trip us up. Now this passage also, this part of the verse where uh, through 9 through 11 talks about, is it says those who are in darkness, the darkness blinds them to the darkness. That they're not only in darkness, but they're also blind. Um, it reminded me of a story, a friend of a friend, um, because of some genetic things uh, he saw for about the first seven years of his life and then lost all of his sight. Um, it's a horrible thing, but it was hearing him talk about what he sees now or doesn't see was really interesting. I've, I've never been blind. Um, I, I, my pupils work pretty well. But I would ask him, I was like, so what's it like? You, you just see darkness all the time. And he goes, no. He goes, there's a better way to tell you how I see. I was like, okay. And so he told me to put my hand over my eyes. If you want to see what blindness is like, at least for him. He goes, and then look out your elbow. Just look out your elbow. It's that simple. Now, I'm looking straight ahead at Alex over there, and I can't see what's behind me, no matter where my elbows are facing. That it's not even darkness. It's just not there at all. It's a weird concept. It's hard to imagine if you've never experienced that. But the hope, the exciting thing that I'm telling you about today that I think you've heard for a long time and hopefully are hearing in your scripture readings, in your day-to-day life, is that 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 light that Christ brings not only removes the darkness, it wipes away the thing that's making them blind. It's it's a thing that, that not only stops them from... Uh, being stuck in this darkness and, and being overcome by this this opposite of, of God, this unlight, but it opens their eyes to things around them. It allows them to see, how can I use my light to help others to get out of their darkness, to get out of their blindness? And so light wins when the blindness gets removed and the darkness is shown out. Let me tell you from personal experience, light being shown out in my heart, I don't always want it to show everything. I like some of my dark rooms that I can always hide that light behind. Sometimes that means being honest with myself. Being a Christian doesn't mean you get to be more and more comfortable with who you are. It does in some regards, but in other regards, God convicts us of things that need changing. And whether you're 
been a Christian for five weeks or 50 years, I'm sure you can attest that your heart is still changing. Because we're not perfect. We don't have it figured out yet. But we believe in someone who's one. We believe in the love that the light of Christ shows us. And so that light that brings us to bring it to other people to help remove that darkness. I think another way to put light is empathy or caring. Sometimes it just means sitting and listening. That, that, that light can lead to a heart change, not only the person you're, you're walking alongside with, but also to you. That it should make us uncomfortable when we're walking with people. I think Tommy said a few weeks ago, but uh, if you look at somebody and be like, they are too far gone for the gospel. If they're too far in darkness, then that means you're too far gone. That should excite us. That we can look out in the world and, and no matter how scary and dark it is, we know that the light will pierce through it. That even if it's a pinhole of light, a pinhole of light pierces through the darkness. It should be exciting. It should be invigorating. It should make us want to go out and love our neighbors and love the city of Kent and love this church, the people you just shook hands with. Hopefully, being in the light encourages that. Knowing the light win encourages that. And so the last part of this passage, 12 through 14, it may be confusing to you when I first read it. It seemed odd. Um, I'm a guy, though, so, so there's a few words that I connect with. I connect with son, Lord willing, hopefully one day be a father. Um, but it's not talking about specifically, John wasn't specifically preaching to uh, men and then the, the boy ch- children and then the sons and then the fathers. What John's talking about here, what, what's informing him when he talks about this, is he's talking about believers, I think the best way to read this passage is to see children as people who are new in their faith. People who are just learning to walk. Who are just beginning to feel the freedom and see the things in front of them that they've been stumbling over. When they talk about sons, they're probably talking about people who are halfway through. Not halfway through uh, the perfection, but kind of like they've been in in a while. They've been in those trenches. And then the fathers, it talks about people who've been at this a long time. I'm only 30, and I feel like I've been at a long time, but it's exciting to talk and be a part of uh, prayer groups that we do on Thursday morning or just talking with elders of the church or people who are a good bit older than me that, that show me what it is like to live in the gospel for such a long time. It's encouraging. It's exciting. If you're a young person, come alongside someone who's been around a long time. It may feel out of touch with TikTok or with Snapchat, but the, the, the wisdom and the knowledge they bring about can be life-changing. Thursday afternoon prayer times I do with a couple ladies has been some of my favorite moments of my week. It's so affirming and exciting to see how the light has kind of permeated their lives for such um, a good amount of time. I don't want to say a long time because I might get in trouble with that. Uh, <laughs> But Jesus wins, and so John is affirming in them all these different things, that no matter what stage of life you are, that you can be comforted by the gospel. So to the children, what does he say? Well, he reminds them that you have forgiveness in Christ's name, and that the Father knows them. So so you're young, you're, you're living out your faith, and maybe it feels like you're messing up a lot. 
You don't, you're like, maybe, you know, I'm not doing this thing right. But John's reminding us, and I think Christ reminds us that, hey, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Sit with that for a second. I don't know if you've ever sat with that. Hopefully you have. It's exciting. It's also convicting. <laughs> um, hopefully it's convicting to, to help us to avoid that. But, but if, if you're young in your faith, at times you can feel like you've tripped up too far. And John wants to remind you that you haven't. That you are never too far from God's love and grace and light to permeate whatever darkness you feel like you've fallen into. So the people who've been in a while, the sons, as, as John calls it here, what, what does this passage point out to them? On parts of 12 and 13, it says, tells the young men to be strong, to abide in God, and to remind them that they overcame a great evil. Now, did they overcome the great evil, or what is John referencing here? Well, if you've been in church hopefully more than one Sunday, you realize what John's referencing is that them overcoming evil was by the power of what Christ did on the cross. The big guy, Jesus, that he came as a human, born uh, like us, was fully God, fully man, lived the perfect life, died for me and you, even when we were still enemies. He didn't die for a bunch of people that loved him, that were like, yeah, Jesus. Put him up on that cross real nice because we're excited for this. No, he, he died for the people who hated him, the people who, who sat down there and were whipping him, stabbing him in the side. And what did Jesus say? Did he yell at them? Was he angry? No. He cried, and he said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This should inform us on how we do everything in life, how we go out and love our neighbors, how we go out and show light to those around us. That hate is easy. Hate is so easy. The past couple of years have taught you anything. Hate is super easy. This passage reminds us that hate has no place in the community of God. At least not for our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ. Whoever they are in Christ, hate is not something that should utter out of our mouths because it's anti-gospel. God brings life. God brings light. He brings love. It builds us up. It make us dance a little, hopefully. I know we're Presbyterian, but we may get a little bit of a jig going. I've seen some of you dance. Um, and so what does he say to those who have been around a while, the fathers as he calls it? Well, he reminds them that God has known them from the beginning. If you've, if you've been a Christian for a amount of time, at times you can feel like maybe you're not learning anything new, or maybe you forgot the joy that you first felt. You're like, I don't have that first joy excitement like some of these young people do. Well, John's reminding you that God loves you just as much the day he first welcomed you into his loving arms. That Christ loves us just as much today as He will in a thousand years. As He did 2,000 years ago. And we can see that on the cross. Hopefully you see that on the cross. John teaches that. He starts off with saying that love's win. That what I'm teaching you is not an old commandment. Love God. And how do we do that? We follow His commandments. We read His scriptures. We're changed by the gospel in our heart and our minds. How does that how is that lived out? Well, it's lived out by being a light in the darkness, as the following verse says. Stepping into the light, breaking through those barriers of darkness. And we do that by the power of Christ. And that's what 
those last verses remind us that Jesus is permeating, that Jesus is here with us now, he'll be with us in the future, and he is working on not only our hearts, but the hearts of those we are going out and reaching out and loving on. Hopefully that gets you excited. I want to remind you, I really want to, as I tell my students, bash in your heads, that love wins by the light of the gospel because of Jesus. Jesus wins. Not just wins, he won. It's done. Done and over. There's part of that passage where it says, it's a new commandment because the light is already shining in the darkness. A few weeks ago, Tommy talked about how as Christians we're constantly looking forward to heaven one day. But we get to experience some of that joy, some of that heaven right now. Right now. And that comes with humbling ourselves before the foot of the throne of God, loving our neighbors, spreading that joy. Hopefully, this coming week, as you're driving down, maybe you might be able to see some places you can help and serve and love your community of Kent. Because Jesus loves Kent. Jesus loves Tuckwilla, Renton, Covington. Take me all day to name everywhere Jesus loved. Probably take me all week. I hope this gets you excited. I hope that you have a new hope this morning. Not one that's new because it's brand new, but because it's a reminder of the promises that God has already given you, that he will keep giving us. That God has huge plans for this community and the community that's right outside of our doors because he loves us. Think about that. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Most Holy Father, I pray that we never forget that you love us. That we never forget the grace commandment that to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, I pray that your light permeates the darkness that is within us and via you the darkness that is in this world, Lord. That we do not hide our light under a bushel, no. But we let it shine as that old children's song sings. And no matter what comes up, whether loud noise or flickering lights, or let us sit in the hope that you have always been here, that you love us, and that you died for us, and you are showing us yourself new every day. Amen.